Hi, everyone. My name is Tad Aquat, and I'm pleased to welcome you all to today's webinar. So just some quick introductions first. Uh, we are a part of Virginia Mason Franciscan Health, a health system with 11 hospitals and 300 sites of care based in Washington. Virginia Mason Institute is a mission-driven nonprofit education and training organization that helps organizations worldwide create cultures of continuous improvement. Uh, today, please ask any questions using the Q&A window. We hope to have plenty of time set aside at the end of the webinar for live Q&A discussion. And also just a reminder that today's session will be recorded you'll receive uh, a link to the recording and Q&A transcript following the session. Okay, I'm pleased to introduce our speakers today. Our featured presenter today is Melissa Lynn. She's a senior partner here at Virginia Mason Institute. She coaches and guides healthcare leaders and providers worldwide through cultural transformation. Melissa is certified in the Virginia Mason production system and in taproot root cause analysis. With her continuous improvement foundations originating from the Dartmouth Institute of Health Policy and Clinical Practice, where she earned her master's degree, she is a Lean Six Sigma black belt and a certified professional of healthcare quality. Uh, today, we also have a featured guest, Summer Shields, joining us, and she will be participating in the Q&A discussion. She is a senior partner here at Virginia Mason Institute and is a former practice manager, medical practice management consultant, and director of operations. Summer brings over 20 years of experience in healthcare operations and leadership. As a director at Virginia Mason Medical Center, she has led the strategy, growth, and operations of a multi-specialty outpatient medical center. All right, and with that, I'm gonna go ahead and hand it off to Melissa. Thanks, Tad, so much for the really wonderful introductions. And thank you everyone for joining us today on today's webinar. Um, uh, again, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to share with you some of our insights as we look to the future and really consider what it's really going to take for us to be able to survive, let alone thrive in the modern healthcare era. And so it'll be important for us to continue to evolve as, as individuals so that we can really be able to support our peers and, and ultimately our patients and communities um, for, for uh, now and beyond. Uh, you can see today's objectives are really going to be talking about some of the human and technical dimensions of change uh, that really help to serve as the foundation of what we think is critical uh, in the role of leadership uh, in healthcare. We talk about some of the key leadership behaviors and some of the systems that can help support uh, individual leaders and uh, their teams as we start to go through some substantial challenges um, today and, and tomorrow. The journey to modern leadership requires us to reflect on the state of urgency that we're seeing now um, that that existed even before the pandemic began, right? And, and has since been exacerbated by COVID-19. So the journey requires us to acknowledge the traditional leadership styles that we've resorted to um, in some cases and where we need to go next if we let, want to let go of the past and embrace the incredible potential of the future. So I kind of work through these uh, steps one, two, three, uh, today. So first we should probably talk about what's happening to the healthcare landscape. Why are we even here to 
talk about leadership exactly uh, when we've got so many other things um, on our plate. So I wanna talk a little bit about those urgencies that need to be addressed today. Um, many of you who are on the line are, are probably um, immersed in, in so much when it relates to staffing challenges, um, needing to um, maintain the patient safety and the quality that we hold so dear um, in, in our practice um, and continuing to support each other through some very difficult times um, that, that you know, continue uh, even two years um, plus into the pandemic. The way we behave is continuing to result in some of the negative outcomes we're, we're seeing. It's exacerbating risk factors that already create enough challenge as it is, right? As you can see there across the top in those four boxes. In many instances though, traditional leadership behaviors are simply making these factors worse um, and, and working harder. That so certainly isn't going to be enough uh, for us here. And so, you know, thinking about how some of the staffing shortages that we may be feeling um, right now here in the States and, and certainly across the world um, and how that could really start to pinch on uh, the risks of quality and safety and, and certainly the opportunity for us to be um, as productive as possible when we've got so much um, stressors uh, surrounding us throughout. Um, and just the ripple effects that you can see across the board, not just amongst are people who are desperately trying to do their best um, for each other and for their patients, but also the ramifications across um, financial, operational um, uh, safety uh, issues as well. And so these leadership styles that you're seeing up at the top, command and control and superhero leadership, um, they're holding us back from the opportunity to grow with the exceptionally complex needs we see now in healthcare. And I suspect that some of you might be reflecting a little bit as well of how some of those leadership styles came back um, uh, roaring uh, during the pandemic as well. Uh, these leadership styles can be seen in behaviors like setting too many priorities, a lack of uh, presence um, on the shop floors and, and therefore a lack of listening and understanding of the realities on the front lines, a fear of failing, um, fear, fear of failure or failing in front of others, uh, et cetera. And it just really compounds um, some of those risk factors that we were talking about. And so let's step um, into number two then, moving to better. Uh, the King's Fund, um, uh, which is uh, based in the United Kingdom, they had a really great quote um, that applies to the National Health Service, uh, but really also um, applies to, to really any, any healthcare um, uh, world here. And they said, a complete paradigm shift is needed in the way that NHS is run, and I would argue that healthcare is run, one that enables competent, innovative leaders to take risks in a responsible, responsive and supportive environment. So I'd love for you to kind of think about, you know, what that means to you and your own organizations, you know, to be competent, to be innovative, uh, to be responsive, and also to be supportive um, of, of each other, of your staff members uh, and, and of the organization as a whole. So what does better actually look like? Well, so let's start here. Uh, as this is a key concept that I would like you all to keep in mind as we move forward. Um, and that's the technical and human dimensions of change. Now, what do we mean by that? We have to acknowledge that the way forward isn't simply searching for a perfect packet of solutions. It's more about addressing and practicing uh, these types of leadership behaviors. 
It's about the human aspects, the behavioral aspects, and in addition to technical elements of change like tools and mechanisms, uh, things that can help us to practice those um, from an outwardly um, appearance. In the study of uh, the outcomes of our clients internationally, um, who've been engaging in their own transformation journeys and, and uh, really evolving their own uh, organizational cultures, we're able to conclude that the most common failure in leadership is treating human challenges as if they were technical challenges or you know, even just operational puzzles to be solved one after the other. And that certainly, um, it cannot, cannot sustain itself. So what this 21st century requires of us as leaders is someone who's able to practice their own self-development and demonstrate to others that they are not perfect or have all the answers. This is someone who role models continuously learning, accepting and communicating their own failures to promote learning, um, all in an effort to show others that it's okay to be imperfect, but insatiable for self-improvement, right? It requires us as leaders to promote team development through mentorship and coaching staff members' abilities uh, to identify problems and develop and test their own ideas as a way to reduce employees' dependence on us as leaders, which can be super scary for us who have grown in the old leadership style that to be needed in that particular way is to be considered valued and indispensable. So having to let go of control um, is, is a scary thing, but absolutely important in this modern era. It requires us to lead from the front lines by being present on the shop floor, getting firsthand facts and knowledge from the front lines as opposed to secondhand uh, gossip or uh, you know, knowledge that's not quite exactly um, what, what it really is. It also requires us to be leaders who can translate a shared vision that is meaningful to the front lines with clear expectations and focused priorities to help regulate the amount of productive distress and urgency that compels teams to change. And the key word there is productive, right? So you want your teams to feel neither complacent nor paralyzed with fear of all the things that they have to do, right? So how do we get onto the balcony and help to modulate or uh, regulate the amount of distress that um, allows for our team members to be compelled to act um, as opposed to feeling terrified of doing anything different or not, not able to think outside of, of the, the continuous ways that they're doing things um, in their day-to-day -day work. And finally, it requires us to be leaders who promote an improvement culture. Again, role modeling that failure is okay as long as we do something with that lesson learned, helping staff stay focused, um, uh, stay focused on the ways that takes away from patient-centered care, helping to frame the problems again, uh, while relinquishing control and empowering staff the challenge and the reward of, of solving the problems. So uh, let's then talk about the day-to-day, -day, because let's be honest with each other, old habits 
die hard. Uh, we were raised to, to be leaders in a particular way. And so adopting new behaviors and new habits can be hard to pick up and even harder to sustain, right? Uh, if we talk about New Year's resolutions, um, we're at the end of January. How many of us are still, still following the resolutions? So while we may be consciously aware or intellectually aware of these modern leadership behaviors that can help us perform better as leaders, it's a challenge in itself to start practicing them. We're, we're all human, right? So this is where the marriage between human and technical dimensions of change can be beneficial. Uh, let's see how we can break it down day to day. I'd love to um, have a couple of leaders uh, from our organization um, share a little bit uh, of their reflections about their actions and behaviors that they model as leaders um, and how that uh, how the their staff members uh, respond to that. It requires each of us to understand how our own behaviors as leaders have to change. And that was something that you know, I personally experienced as a longtime leader in healthcare, but with the need to lead differently. I think it's really a good thing. I think it tells us about uh, evolving from heroes to coaches, uh, from problem resolvers to enablers of our team members to, so that they have the skills, they have the tools, uh, and they have the deed on reinventing their own workflows. Uh, again, I would reemphasize what I said earlier is that we as leaders uh, should not be about swooping in and uh, solving the problem and then going on to the next one. That's how many of us cut our teeth in leadership, but uh, that doesn't build long-term resilience. It doesn't build capability. It doesn't uh, build uh, team member engagement. So I think there's a much better way. A lot of our PDSAs don't need a whole lot of convincing because we engage the team to do the work. So we, we're not just saying, okay, I have something I want to try because I'm the leader and this is what I think we need to do. We have a team member has brought an issue to us, a concern, a need for a change, and we engage them to make that next step to make that change. So if we're doing a PDSA in clinic of something new, it's usually coming from them. So it's something that they want to see adjusted, they want to see changed, and so they're more engaged in doing it. I feel like you learn so much by just listening and asking questions. Um, I, I really am intentional about asking open-ended questions and just checking in with people when I'm doing my rounding. And so it's really coming from a place of, I want to help. Um, this is what I understand the problem is. Can you clarify that for me? And so right there, just asking and inviting that team member to share, well, no, this is how we do it, or this is why we do it. Um, and then people are really um, engaged in giving you that feedback, especially if they know that it's going to be implemented, right? And so I think there's a, a relationship and a trust that has to be built with your team. Um, people don't usually come to you with concerns or problems if they don't feel like they're going to be addressed. But I really love what Rebecca Kate uh, right there at the end just talked about is because of her willingness to to invite the perspectives of her team members. And that's that level of trust and reliability on each other 
to support each other through that work. And that just continues to pay in dividends, right? In terms of both being able to speak up when there are problems, but also the opportunity to say, hang on a minute, I might have an interesting idea. And even if it's a silly or a foolish idea, no one's going to shoot me down or laugh at me. They're, they're going to support me and, and, and we together can fail um, fabulously at this idea that I have, but probably come up with an even better one because we are willing to try something and take a risk together as a team. Uh, so it's just really incredible to hear um, these leaders can share a little bit about what it could look like when we start to really practice those behaviors on a regular basis and, and how it's building up to Dr. Kaplan's point that long-term resilience, not just for the leaders, but also the staff members and ultimately the patients get to see that. They get to see our increased resilience to uh, handle problems as they arise. You know, it helps us to be even more capable in solving those problems and, and just the incredible engagement that, that continues to, to um, you know, refresh and, and, and resolve itself. So, You'll see here then, we'll talk a little bit about techniques and the mechanisms, standard work routines and the like that can help us learn how to explicitly demonstrate certain types of behavior traits until it eventually becomes innate and intuitive and implicitly known for leaders and staff, right? There is an, uh, an ease uh, and comfort that you could see uh, those four leaders kind of speak to the behaviors that they're, they're using, but there's, it's clear that there's um, obvious actions that they take uh, so that their staff members can see them continuing to practice those behaviors because it's, it's not always easy to do. So we always have to be practicing them, right? So as we move from left to right in this diagram here, you can see us shifting towards, you know, what we want to achieve in terms of the, the specific behavioral goal. And then what are some of the technical things that we can do to practice those that will eventually help us to, to ultimately um, uh, to demonstrate and display the behaviors that are associated with some of those techniques. So for example, uh, we can see how a goal of promoting an innovative approach among the team, right? Coming up with good ideas or even just bringing up problems that come, come about, that can begin with following a, a structured idea generation system that reminds us how to do things like maximize the quantity of the ideas, right? Just inviting people to come up with as many ideas as possible. That's one component of the, the system potentially. But another component of it might be about how to maximize the quality of the ideas among the staff, right? So really um, honing in our craft when it comes to brainstorming and not just say, let's just brainstorm, but maybe some techniques or ways to, to really pull out even better ideas uh, from the staff members. That's ultimately gonna remind us then to, to learn from both successes and failures, right? Um, and the, the system itself, the structure uh, way that it's set up could even help us uh, to, to celebrate more, right? When we're only accustomed to celebrating successes, for example, it might help us to make sure that we're also bringing positive attention to when an idea doesn't work and it does fail. Um, how do we create um, positive um, associations with you know, learning from failure? And so that idea generation system could really help us then ultimately support that culture of comfort with failure and culture of innovation, but at the local levels. Uh, we could also be using, let's say, leader standard work, 
So that has clear daily, weekly reminders for myself as a leader to visit the shop floor or ask coaching style questions that I don't really quite have memorized in my head, right? So it's at least right in front of me on a piece of paper. So I have it as a, a, as a guideline um, or sending thank yous on Thursdays. Uh, to help reinforce behaviors of presence and listening to the front lines, um, coaching one-on-one -on -one, um, and not just shooting out the random ad hoc email and hoping that people will, will react or respond the way that I expect them to via email, which is a very, um, you know, not, not a close way of, of helping to support people if we really need to, to do some one-on-one -on -one coaching, right? Uh, so, these kinds of behaviors that my leader standard work checklist, for example, is, is helping me to continue to emulate and practice those kinds of behaviors through very simple actions. So that way I don't let you know, meetings or briefing reports uh, or crises uh, get in the way of nurturing a modern culture of continuous improvement and team engagement. So you can see that with every moment of practice, these technical activities can lead to better leadership behaviors and wean leaders off of only focusing on the technical and becoming more able to uh, do it by muscle memory and therefore adapt to more complex challenges because of their ability to lean into these new behaviors more naturally, if you will. Now, I'd like to, to ask you all on, on the webinar today, just kind of think about what artifacts, what, what pieces of evidence or systems that exist today uh, or are needed in your organization maybe that can help you to deepen your own development of these modern behaviors. For us, as a quick example, we have something called a respect for people framework for leaders and staff members alike to draw from that helps us to remind us of the you know, top 10 ways that we can show respect to each other by calling on certain behaviors. Another upset of artifacts for us or system really is one of our biggest lessons actually in our, in our own 20 year journey at Virginia Mason, uh, recognizing the need for a single management system for all of our leaders so that everyone approaches management issues the same way with the same set of tools and therefore the same philosophy about reducing waste, accepting zero harm and striving to, to shoot for zero errors. Right? This system that helps leaders to create better strategic focus, um, offer more opportunities for cross-team collaboration outside of your own departmental silos, and even helping figure out you know, basic uh, management techniques for dealing with the day-to-day. So this realization brought us uh, the world-class management system, um, which some of you may be very familiar with if you've been following our journey here at Virginia Mason, and the six daily management principles that offer clear techniques to help us practice those actions, those words, and ultimately uh, be able to encompass those behaviors that are so important right now to this modern era of healthcare. So anywhere starting from you know, making sure that we use visual management to be able to see day-to-day um, the, the status of our work and making sure that we finish our, our work every day successfully and safely as a team. You know, creating some daily accountability processes to make sure that we're rounding and being on the Genba um, uh, on the shop floor at all times so that we can really appreciate, you know, what are some of the issues that might be arising in flow or helping to support staff members right there um, uh, where, where they're working. 
the later standard work that I mentioned earlier, right? Uh, for some could be a simple checklist of sorts that helps us to, to uh, relate back to basic actions and activities that I need to do as a leader to make sure that I do my jobs well, but also to be able to support my teams and be able to manage the strategic issues um, of the day, of the week, of the month um, throughout making sure that we're developing root cause analysis um, uh, mentality um, on the shop floors and that I'm practicing it myself, but also doing it with my colleagues. They're creating some reliability and ensuring that that culture that I, we were talking about earlier and making sure we're nurturing that continuous improvement, that there are also processes in place to really support the health of that culture. And then last was daily Kaizen. And that's really about daily improvement and helping to nurture that and empower our staff members to, to be able to come up with their own ideas to the problems that they may be identifying themselves. So I don't have to be the one, like Dr. Kaplan mentioned, to be the superhero jumping in and resolving those problems for my staff members and actually just giving them control, giving them the opportunity to solve their own problems and be able to take that reward of, of having um, solved solve it for themselves. So there's some really impactful things that we can do here that are very technical in detail um, at times, but actually is helping us to, to practice those behaviors. And so you can see that come up in, in terms of different types of um, methods and tools that are associated with that world-class management system, and um, in particular that help us as leaders to rewire our brain. And it's helping to unlearn decades of traditional leadership behaviors and practicing saying and doing things that we're not accustomed to at, at this moment, right? We're at a pivot point uh, that we can start to really seize um, for ourselves and, and hopefully demonstrate to others that this truly can be the new way um, of, of leading in, in the healthcare industry. Uh, here's another example of the technical marrying up with the human dimensions of change. Uh, and, and something that we really, really love uh, here at Virginia Mason Institute, uh, Amy Edmondson uh, has shared such groundbreaking research on psychological safety. And we can recognize the behaviors we see in an environment of low psychological safety, which you can see at the bottom of the visual on the left, and, and how it results in mistrust and silence, maybe some groupthink or assumptions and blaming culture, right? Those are some pretty obvious uh, uh, outcomes of a low psychologically safe uh, environment. Versus what would happen if as leaders, providers, or anyone really who can act in some leadership or influential role, take responsibility to reduce that perceived power of difference and create that feeling of psychological safety among the teams they work with. And we can see how team members can feel more trusting, open, curious, and inspired that they're willing to speak up uh, to mistakes that are being made and help each other to innovate and solve problems together, right? So intellectually, we get that. We understand how psychological safety works and we all strive to, to want to create that sense of environment for us, but it, it, it's a difficult thing to do, right? Especially if it's a type of culture that has uh, resided in your organization for quite a while or in pockets of the organization. That's just the way that it was, the way things are done, the way that we speak to each other. And we've kind of just assumed that it's, it's just how we do things. And so 
we designed this framework with the steps one, two, three, that you can see there from green, blue, and gray, uh, working through those key steps of creating that psychologically safe space. This example here is actually based on a real leadership grand rounds presentation at Virginia Mason, where this leader um, filled out the prompts through those steps to figure out how to frame the work and emphasize that purpose, demonstrating humility, expressing appreciation, all of those key components of those three steps. And so you can see their humble attempt to step out of their own comfort zones to set the stage, invite participation and respond productively. I mean, these are the leadership grand rounds, right? So it's a pretty large crowd of, of your peers and even your senior leaders that are coming in. Uh, and to have that person, that leader in particular, stand up and say, if I stumble and secretly, I hope I do because mistakes are often where the most learning takes place. I know you'll help me recover well, right? To make that attempt, their own personal attempt to destigmatize failure by putting their them, themselves out there, taking that risk um, and recognizing that some people might respond in a way that might be uh, cruel, but they're taking that risk to say, I want us to, to come together, walk together in that space where we embrace that failure and we explore how to learn from it, right? And so they're making it safe for others because they're opening up themselves. So it's a really great example, again, of something as simple as a framework, helping us through the technical aspects of it with the idea that ultimately, if we keep on practicing that, we'll be able to do it more innately and more intuitively to foster that psychological safety. One more um, system that I'm just gonna share here before we close out is uh, one that supports enabling and the sustainability of necessary leadership behaviors is uh, by developing a dyad leadership or a dyad partnership. Uh, sometimes other, some, some other organizations, they sometimes they call it a triumvirate uh, because they might have a nurse, uh, a physician or a provider and an operational leadership uh, member sorry, relationship as well, but we'll just stick with dyad here. But in a dyad leadership model, that act of sharing oversight and responsibilities can help leaders learn to share information, practice transparency with one other person at least, invest in each other's success, seeking to understand when conflicts arise, right? These should sound fairly familiar from that um, modern leadership behavior slide that I showed earlier. That dyad system really helps leaders to appreciate that they may not have all the answers, but having a partner to complement their skill set and knowledge in creating those opportunities to practice mutual dependence and collaboration and that aligned responsibility and peer accountability. So you can see there on the right, this is actually some recent work that we've done with one of our clients who uh, really dove in a little bit deeper into developing a dyad leadership. And, and it really just helped them to, to essentially force an alignment of goals and priorities because they recognized that they were ultimately actually working towards the same shared goal. And so it would actually behoove them to work together as opposed to working against each other. And it really helped to embed uh, process improvement into their culture because you had leaders aligning with each other and supporting each other uh, through the strategic work. 
And so, you know, when an organization embraces the need for both those technical and human dimensions of change to develop their leaders and to embrace these new modern behaviors, we can see a tremendous difference. So we've seen it in a number of our transformation clients, particularly, dur particularly during the COVID pandemic, which was the absolutely critical test for, for them. Um, and they really saw their management and improvement systems be put to the test. And so for those who had really done the hard work to get those system foundations in place, several of our clients here in the US and in the UK reported back that even in crisis, they could resort to following the technical routines, right? Even when everything seemed to be falling out of the sky and they might've lost sight of the basic behaviors, they could go back to the, to the basic techniques that the world-class management system taught them to help maintain the necessary leadership behaviors they needed to keep staff morale up, uh, turnover low, and the patient experience excellent, even in those difficult times. So you can see this is just a little vignette of one of our clients who, uh, as they were sharing with us that, you know, even for them, they still committed to their daily huddles and some leadership rounding on the front lines to connect with staff during the pandemic, during these very difficult times. And so this healthcare system on the East Coast actually had a reliable channel for feedback connecting from the board uh, of directors back to down to the front lines on what was actually working, you know, during that pandemic when information was constantly changing almost on an hourly basis uh, and what needed some further attention or uh, additional PDSA. And it encouraged problem solving from the staff and creating new standards of care backed by regular observation, right? The leader grounding and good data measurement. Uh, and so that actually helped this client in particular just report on how they saw even more staff member engagement and more rapid innovations um, than they had seen prior to the pandemic because they could feel that trust and the res resilience that was previously built up from those leaders exercising that new way of leadership. And it was actually paying itself back um, in dividends during the crisis because they could always just rely um, on some of those basic techniques again. So it was just a really tremendous and in some instances, uh, a marvelous and, and somewhat a surprising result to see how well it could um, uh, sustain itself even in the middle of the pandemic. So I will just wrap up here just on the formal presentation piece, because um, if anything, I'd love to have more conversation with uh, my colleague, Summer Shields, who has some uh, incredible stories of her own um, as, as she was a leader during the COVID pandemic and can share some incredible insights and, and maybe some good pieces of advice as well. Um, so I'll just turn it back over to Tad um, as we sit here on this, this last quote. Tad? Yeah, thank you so much, Melissa. I see we already have some great questions coming in, um, but uh, let's get to those in a few minutes. Uh, Melissa, I believe you wanted to kick it off first with some questions for Summer based on some of her experience in applying some of what you just shared. Absolutely. So I know Summer, we've had some conversations before in the past of what it was like to be a leader in, in the middle of the pandemic. And one of the things that we talked quite a bit about is making a choice between um, whether or not you need you know, tight control because there's just so much going on and you have to kind of go from the top down to you know, how do we shift those priorities? So I would just start off with, you know, you know, is it a good thing about stop 
of, of stopping doing some of the, the standard things that we got accustomed to and standing down on meetings? Or how do we as leaders address some of that tension and that pressure to, to do one thing over another? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Melissa. I think as leaders who are um, comfortable now, especially within the Virginia Mason Franciscan Health System, being comfortable with um, leading from a, a standard uh, management method that we have been relying on and felt so um, secure in for so long that to have some of our standard processes stopped or um, you know standing down from meetings that are that are helping us to move improvement work forward, um, it can be scary. Um, I think what what in reality um, the stand down was really more about our executive leadership recognizing how important it was for us to be um, present and available at, at the front line. And so um, we really um, needed the space and time to refocus and to just manage that crisis response. So I think it, it doesn't mean that we stopped meeting with our people, right? Um, it doesn't mean that we stopped being present, that we started, we all just as leaders decided we we're gonna work from home and you know, it, dealing with the challenge of, um, social distancing and things that we had to, we had to learn how to lead differently um, with new technology and, and dealing through the frustrations of that. But at the end of the day, um, I would say it resulted in um, really more frequent huddling. So we're using the same structure that we've, that we've had, the same tools that we've had and that we've relied on and maybe in different ways. We had uh, different sets of priorities to, that were really frankly focused on um, one or two important things. You know, it's lights on, doors open, it's um, keeping our people safe, um, talking daily about how we could um, address safety and, and getting communications out. You know, there was a lot of scary times where um, the workforce um, challenges were, were um, affecting us and there was a lot of fear. Um, and so being transparent and having daily communications, whether it's in a, a debriefing model or um, a small huddle, um, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, I think just that really focusing on the one thing was uh, was what that um, that stand down kind of helped us to refocus and and say we we really are in this together with a very uh, uh, laser focus on the most important things that we need to address right now. Oh, that's incredible, and and I would reiterate what you just said there, Summer, about you know being on the front lines and and being physically present because even if it felt like you know am, are we going to get in the way of of the pandemic and our colleagues trying to take care of very sick people when when there was still not enough information out there in the world to to really respond to this COVID nineteen thing back in twenty twenty. And, and it was interesting, both at Virginia Mason, but with a number of our clients who said, I was actually relieved that for some of the meetings that got canceled, it actually gave me the opportunity to go out more, right? And go out onto the shop floor more. And so they were relieved because it allowed for them to, to just get out there and ask questions directly or offer some communications directly. And, and they could see how much people appreciated um, that one-to-one -one and, and being able to see your CEO and like, oh, hi, you know, you're, you're standing here right in front of me and, and not secluded away in an office or whatnot, um, but you're standing here full, fully donned PPE. And so you appreciate the risks that I'm personally taking. I want to take a risk and share with you some of some of my concerns that I have, right? So I loved um, how we saw that connection with, with a number of our um, partners around the world. Yes, absolutely. 
And speaking of that, because I think uh, we're still feeling it now. And recently, we've been talking quite a bit about burnout um, and staff well-being, and just the fact that it's we've just passed the two-year anniversary of, of when Tom Hanks got COVID, right? And so um, we we thought that we might be able to see an uptick, but it just keeps on piling on, I think, to some extent. So I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts, you know, especially at, um, as you were connecting with your your own team, but also connecting with your peer leaders on, you know, how, um, what the leader's role specifically was in, in fostering that resilience and, and well-being among staff. Because I think there are def definitely different definitions of well-being and resilience. And I'd love to kind of get your personal thoughts on, on that. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, in my own personal experience uh, as, as a leader through this um, crisis, um, it what what it really it's come down to a few things. So where we are today, I'll start for today and then kind of move backward a little bit. Um, but I think where we are today is um, there's just a lot of depletion. We're everyone's tired from the leadership top leadership down to the front line. Um, so what do we do? What do we do to kind of reinforce and reengage our team and 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 you know keep them healthy and and stable and and sustainable for the future um, as we kind of face these you know, growing workforce challenges. And I look, I really think we're at a place right now where it's, it's in a sense of back to basics mentality. It's mm -hmm. really about, um, you think of the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the bottom is food, shelter, and I would add PPE, right? So we've, <laughs> <laughs> we've got a, we've got a, we had to get stabilized at a, at a basic level. And then what's next? So what's next is, you know, we're kind of back to basics. So it's going back to those basic tools that we know have sustained us in the past. Um, and one of them that's so, so important is that leader rounding. Um, in the video, um, Bess talked about, you know, how important it was that she just got out there on the floor and asked some open-ended questions. And I think if you don't know where to start, I always um, go back to the training that um, Studer brought us that was so helpful. And he has four critical questions. What's going well for you today? What uh, tools and equipment do you need to do your job? What processes should we be paying attention to that maybe aren't working? And and Fourth and probably the most important right now is who should I be recognizing? Um, and then really following up on that. If that's the only thing a leader did all day long, that is going to help our team members feel that we are listening to them, that we are present, that we're focused on the right things. It just brings all of those, um, uh, that sense of um, what, it, what we need, those behaviors you were talking about earlier that are um, so needful in today's uh, modern leadership. And um, I kind of reflect on, you know, as a leader, you always are balancing, do I have time for this? Do I have time to get out there and have these conversations? And I think yeah. about my own um, vice president of, of operations. Um, she would just with, I would say, predictable regularity, she sent meaningful recognition. And I thought it, it was timely, it was thoughtful, it was appropriate and, um, and personal. And I thought if my VP, who I know has a schedule that is, you know, five times as intense as mine, can take the time to make sure that I get recognized appropriately, then I know that I can make space for that. And it and it meant something to me. So I just I think that's just a place to start. And you know, we're gonna have to build on that from here. Oh wow. I love that. Is that cascading of role modeling, right? And really starting to have that moment of self-reflection for yourself as a leader and recognizing, hang on a minute, if my vice president can can do that, 
what, what's the excuse for myself? Um, how can I carve out that five minutes of time and start off with one, one thank you and then maybe expand it to two and how can I find time for more and more and more um, of it? But it's just a magical moment there, I think for a lot of staff members when they say someone actually noticed, someone noticed something that I did um, and, and that's, such an impact, I think, for so many of our staff members who, you know, just two plus years of having to go through the slog of, of the pandemic, uh, something that's all people want, right? They, they don't need the yoga, yoga or the massages or anything like that. They just need to be acknowledged that they're trying their hardest um, in these difficult times. I think in some ways, it's actually simpler than we, than we think. <laughs> you know, it is, um, it is kind of, like I said, that back to basics mentality, go back to just the getting out there on the floor, asking the open-ended questions, um, doing, giving compassionate listening. We had a question earlier about, you know, is there room for compassionate leadership? And, and I would say, yes, absolutely. You know, as we, um, as we face this um, crisis and in in, in all of our efforts have gone to this, um, you know, very specific um, focus. And, and as we're feeling depleted, um, that being a compassionate leader is just so, um, important in in terms of um, in reinforcing the wellness of our of our team members and even ourselves. I think as I saw myself evolving as a leader, through, seeking back through this journey, you know, I saw I felt myself um, evolving, and part of it was that it was really about just taking that time to listen, to really listen, and and then to be um, really flexible with where um, where what my expectations were, meeting people where they are. Um, we had to make lots of changes that I would have never anticipated could be a good business, you know, decision to, prior to the pandemic. And yet yeah. I look back and we say, you know, if that's what's keeping our people healthy and safe and, and sustainable, then it is the right decision and we need to move forward with that. Can I follow up on that piece about compassionate leadership? I was just reflecting on just those little tiles that we had earlier with those different modern, modern leadership behaviors. And one of the things they talk about quite a bit is um, letting go of control and recognizing that you, the leader, might not actually have the problems. And, and I forget, there was something that you had mentioned about that, that you know, critical moment um, where, where you had to make some difficult decisions in the early stages of the pandemic as it relates to furloughing. And it, it's just phenomenal to hear, you know, what, what you and your team decided to do in that case. And I just would love it if, if others could hear that as well. Yeah, and I think that was a, a key moment. And, and one of the things I'm really pleased about is that coming through this pandemic, I, in, the, in, the, um, in, the, in the culture that I was working in, um, there was a lot of really strong, um, there was a lot of, of, of a sense of culture that was very positive, let's say. As, as difficult as it was, um, we didn't experience some of the, um, uh, the, the, the incredible fears and, um, and maybe some sense of inequity in terms of how things were handled. For example, during the time where people had to be asked to step away from work. And you know, that's a very scary thing to be asked to do. Um, when, when not only did we have so much work in, in reality, it was just different work. It felt different. It was heavy. It wasn't the kind of work we did, we had done before. And so, you know, from, for, from my um, perspective, what really helped us was that we came together as a team and we listened to everyone's needs and we responded somewhat differently to, as a team to say, okay, 
this is what's needed. We, we need to meet a goal. We have a goal that's been set forth by our organization. We So many people have to step back from work for a, a period of time. This is what has to happen for us to survive right now. And how are we gonna do this? But we, we talked about it as a team and the team really came together and it wasn't me saying, this is what you're gonna do. This is how I'm gonna tell you what your, what your job is. We had a goal. I was very clear about the goal. I was very, it was not, it was non-negotiable that we had to meet the goal, but how we got there was decided among the team members and their compassion for one another came out so loud and clear as they said, you know what? It's more, uh, your life situation is different than mine. I can step away from work longer and do it differently in, in lieu of you having to do that. And then over time, we made some adjustments to, so that no one really felt like, it, even though it wasn't completely equitable, it felt fair. Right. It was um, it was and people came back feeling supported and um, refreshed. And I just I, I'm so proud of the team for getting through that time in the way that they did. And as a leader, my role was really about what you said earlier. It was about letting go of control. It was about stepping back and saying, here's the goal. We know what we need to do. We have to meet this goal. And how are we going to do it together? And that was really powerful. It's so amazing. Uh, and, and exactly that, because you were so clear about what we all needed to move towards or aim towards in terms of that goal. And yet, because of the work that you'd clearly been doing to help this team create that level of support and trust with each other, that they could have honest conversations and say, you know what, I can, I can take an additional sacrifice, or this is a bit a way that we can support each other because we love each other. We want to support our patients and our community members. We want to make sure that everyone is managing to become whole again. Uh, and that's such a beautiful thing to say. So thank you so much for sharing that story. Tad, um, that covers some of the questions that had come through during the registration process. So I don't know if there were any other um, great questions that came through the Q&A today. There's, there's so many great questions coming in. And um, I see there's um, a great one jumping back, kind of back to basics. Um, that's getting a lot of attention here. Um, and, and there's a few that kind of surround this just about getting started, you know, practical ways to just get started, move forward, deal with resistance of change. So let's start with the beginning there of um, what do you think, what would you recommend is the best place to start to begin adopting and spreading these behaviors? I feel like Summer might have already answered that question earlier with that back to basics, but do you want to, do you want to expand mm -hmm. on that a little bit more, Summer? Well, I was going to ask you, Melissa, because you had answered this so well when it was it came up in our UK webinar as well. Um, just a couple of things I would start with are, you know, it's it's being present, getting out on the on the gamba, on the shop floor, if you will, and um, making those rounds. So I know that you many people will say they uh, it's been difficult to have physical presence um, it, because of the this pandemic, but we figured out ways to make it work. We figured out ways to do it differently. Sometimes it's it's like we're doing today. It's a video chat, um, but that people need to see their leaders. They need to know their leaders are present. Um, and the other thing that is is so important is is just starting somewhere. When it comes to the visual management, I, I think back to you know we we were we had such great visual management in place, and that was really how we ran our business day to day. And you know as we uh, transition sometimes to not being in the um, office as much. We're, we're working virtually. We've had to do it differently. So get back to something, you know, whether it's just, all you're doing is uh, putting, you know, visualizing, you know, what, what your demand is today and what the capacity is and making it visible so that people can get back into a routine of, of uh, having visual management that 
you know, what, what's visible is what gets worked on. That's what gets changed. We, we just know that from experience. So um, the couple ways and, um, that I would suggest, and, and I would turn it back to you to Melissa to, to add to add on to that. Absolutely. I'm, I keep going back to that visual image of the daily management six elements that we have available. And I certainly invite anyone um, on the phone here to uh, check it out on our website if you're more curious about it. Uh, but those are probably the two, um, the two that people start with is visual management, really, because it helps to be more transparent about what the business is about. And I'm personally not withholding information that might actually help my staff members members be able to do their jobs better. And so creating a space for us to look at the same data, look at the same information and be able to make qualified decisions about how do we make sure that we all end today on time successfully with all of our patients and the, the services that we're offering to them and, and do it in a well that's safe. Um, and what things that we need to build into place where if their problems do arise midday that you know, we have countermeasures in place, ways to respond effectively um, to the work so that we're not scrambling, but we already know that there's a standard way for us to connect back as a team in case there are problems that are, that are arising. Um, but I'll probably also add one more thing, which is the huddling. Um, that's just that daily accountability for us to come together. And it's creating a space, it's carving out space for us to connect and convey um, information or issues as a team. Because it might be something as simple as, you know, the, let's just pretend the three of us get together and huddle in the morning. And Tad speaks up and says, hey, you know, I just noticed that there was a problem that came up from last night. Um, I don't know how to solve it, but I figured I'd bring it up. Now you and I are probably kind of brainstorming in our own heads and saying like, oh, I think I might have a solution, but it's creating that space for um, daily improvement. And so it, it kind of all cascades along with each other, but those are probably the first three places we, don't, we definitely suggest you start. Mm -hmm. oh, that's great. And I love um, sort of a follow-up question from Caitlin on this topic, just kind of thinking more on like a macro level, like if your role is with an improvement team or you're you're an executive that's thinking about rolling this out with more leaders, do you think it's better to start with like a couple leaders to really do a deep dive and model this with them and work with them directly? Or is it better to work with a larger group and try and roll it all out um, in terms of like systematizing this kind of approach? It's a tough question, but I really lo I love that that um i love that clarification on and just in terms of trying to um you know scale this kind of these kinds of behaviors it's a really great question um i think there's always going to be a bit of a, a little asterisk or a caveat which is it kind of depends on where your organizational culture is at today right i think i was i was trying to scroll through some of the q a that was up there there were some conversations about you know what do you do if your your executive leaders don't uh don't appreciate the importance of leadership, which was an extremely profound and philosophical question in, in itself, right? Uh, and so I, I definitely say that, um, as Summer and I were alluding to earlier, is if, if you have some very healthy skepticism on the ground in the organization, proof is in the pudding, right? And so being able to start with some of these basic things, maybe having a couple of leaders who are eager to demonstrate that this is the way that we need to move forward in terms of modern leadership. I think those are some um, easy ways to then get people on board or at least 
healthily you know, curious about, hang on a minute, why, why is Summer and her team performing better than others, right? I want to go see and understand what, what that's all about. And then being able to kind of create that, that space then for what, where, where can we you know, establish visual management or where, we can, where can we do more leader rounding um, across the organization? Uh, we're certainly biased in saying that it, it only really works um, to its most profound or, or, or its best when you're using all of the world-class management system together, right? Making sure your strategic goals align nicely with what you're seeing on the front lines in terms of what they're contributing towards or, or working towards. Um, but I think those are some basic ways to begin. So uh, certainly take a look at you know, where the where the appetite is for the organization, and um, if need be, you know, start small, but don't don't feel like you have to solve for the whole organization in order, in order to get started. All right, um, you know, and it looks like we are that blew by, and we want to be respectful of everyone's time. So maybe um, it looks like what we're going to have to do is we will along with the Q&A transcripts of the ones we answered, we're going to go ahead and make sure to provide some responses to all of these other questions that um, we've received here. Um, and we'll have those um, written up and posted along with the um, recording and transcript. So thank you all so much for all of these great questions and apologies we couldn't get to all of them. Uh, but let's go ahead and close out now that we are um, just about a minute out. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and share a couple of our um, closing housekeeping slides. So just a reminder that this uh, session was recorded. Um, we, we will notify everyone when the recording is available. Um, and just a quick reminder that we also have downloadable related tools on our website, um, on our tools section, including um, handouts with uh, key leadership behaviors, um, tools and activities on developing a culture, culture of respect. We also have a new white paper that does a deep dive and some stories uh, with Virginia Mason and some of our partners of how they've kind of applied some of uh, these concepts that you heard about today. Um, I also want to call out that we have new cohorts available for registration with two of our new virtual training programs. Um, and be sure to connect with us. Um, we have resources, again, as I said, on our website in the resources section. Uh, we are on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, you can learn more about our other services at virginiamasoninstitute.org or email us anytime at info at virginiamasoninstitute.org. All right. Thank you all so much for joining us today for this webinar. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of your day, wherever you are in the globe. Thanks again for joining us for this Virginia Mason Institute webinar recording. The video recordings and Q&A transcripts are also available on our website under the resources section. Please also stay tuned for our upcoming original podcast series where we'll be interviewing healthcare leaders and improvement experts to provide you insights and inspiration from our Virginia Mason team. Thanks again for listening.